composer-saxophonist Steve Owen is also the director of jazz studies at the University of Oregon. He's a dear friend and one of my most treasured mentors. This is off his album Stand Up 8, a tune called As of Now. Steve, I consider to be the original playful musician and was a huge inspiration for this podcast. We talk about how music has been his playground his entire life, how much he loves practicing, and how during COVID he took a huge break from playing the saxophone. We talk practice routines, writing processes, the evolution of jazz pedagogy. Steve shares his current favorite music, who's inspiring him, and about his plans for the future. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed connecting with Steve again. He's a gem of a human being and a wonderful musician. Please enjoy this conversation with Steve Owen. Welcome to The Playful Musician. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado... Here is this week's episode. Steve Owen, I'm so glad to have you on the Playful Musician. This is like a big Steve dream of mine. Davidson. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be fun. You are the original Playful Musician. Because I don't know if you remember this, but like a decade or more ago, I came to your office, your new office, what was then a new office at the new wing of UVO, and I sat there with our tape recorder and I was like interviewing you basically. And that was like the germ for this whole thing because I was like, wow, that was so cool. It'd be great to talk to all these other musicians in a similar vein. Playful, playful musician. That's what cracks (laughs) me up. Okay, I'll go with that. Well, you, you are playful. <laughs> like that's one of the things I love about you as a teacher and even as a writer and a performer. There's always like a, there's just a playful aspect. I even remember one of our lessons. I was like, oh, I've got to get all this stuff learned. I got to do all this, and then you were like, well, so if you master all that, then then what are you gonna do? Like, why don't you just have fun with the process? <laughs> Well, it should be fun. That's, you know, I get, that's the 
the label I get from the students or, or the tag, they go, Steve's favorite three-letter word is, is fun. <laughs> I, I probably overuse that a little bit, but it mm. should be fun. I mean, what's not fun about this? I mean, right. this whole thing. I mean, I, I don't know. That's what keeps me going. It's always kept mm -hmm. me going with this because it's absolutely Have, joyful. Yeah. Has that been there, like, even when you were younger? Was that always part of your music journey, that fun piece? Yeah. You know, it's it's kind of a... It's, it's been fun. It's kind of been a retreat, you know, a uh, retreat into something mm. else. Um, I remember just being a kid and, and uh, I, I was just astounded because my dad uh, grew up as a Depression era kid. And so mm -hmm. we didn't have a, or at least spending money on anything. We were the yeah. last people to get a TV. We we're the last people to get, you, you know, the air conditioning. We were talking about the other day, the other day we were kind of laughing. But, mm -hmm. um, but we were also one of the last people to get a stereo that was kind of cool. And I remember when we finally got one, it was, I would sit there and I, first thing I found were some like things like headphones and, and <laughs> everybody else would fall asleep. And I just plug my, those headphones in and just drift off in the living room and just listen to stuff. It was wow. just amazing. You know, to me, it was, it was just, like I said, it was almost kind of otherworldly, a little magical, because it mm -hmm. just sounded so cool, and you were so surrounded by all these sounds, and it really didn't matter what I was listening to, you know, um, at the time. Was that the radio I, it just, it you were listening really, to, or were those recordings? They were kind of a combination of things. Probably, uh, we had, uh, who was I listening to most of the time? So it was a lot, some of the pop groups with instrumental pop groups, like uh, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and, mm -hmm. you know, stuff with, you know, Stevie Wonder, things like that. But also, yeah. my uh, folks uh, were kind of fans of classical music, so I loved listening. You know, I, I, I'd listen to Copeland, or mm. uh, I, I don't know, we, I didn't care for Beethoven that much at the time, which is <laughs> odd, but I still, you know, it's still beautiful music. So I uh, also like... My mom loved show tunes, so mm -hmm. we'd have soundtracks to musicals, things like that, that I'd listen to as yeah. well. So, but wow. it was great. It was a great kind of like, so it was always fun, but it was kind of, I don't know. I, I was, you probably, you probably have a hard time believing this, <clears throat> but I was very <laughs> introverted as a kid. <laughs> I do so, have a hard time um, believing that. <laughs> but as, as a kid, that was kind of a, I don't know, as a retreat. It was a way to kind of mm -hmm. experience other things, other feelings, things like that. So it was great. Yeah, It's always been fun. Was your family a musical other than listening? I mean, I know your brother was or is. Yeah, my, I would absolutely say um, no. <laughs> <laughs> my dad couldn't carry a tune if you handed it to him, you know. But he mm -hmm. loved to sing. That's the funniest part. He loved to sing. He was. <laughs> we'd go to church and we'd sing hymns, and he was the loudest person. And and we'd always somebody would always turn around in the pew in front of us and and kind of laugh, you know, and say, "Well, you know, Charlie, you're in fine form today, right?" Like <laughs> because he'd always sing loudly. But um, uh -huh. but my older brother was, yeah, as you mentioned, was quite a fine musician. He, and so I got to grow up hearing him. He's a very fine classical player at the time, so I got to hear mm -hmm. a lot of uh, fabulous classical music being performed. And um, 
I tried studying uh, piano as well. Uh, I was not that student. I wasn't. Mm -hmm. it, it just didn't work for me like it worked for my older brother. But yeah, I, I got to hear a lot yeah. of great music as a result, both live and on recording. Um, and it was really fortunate. I did, even though I wasn't good at piano, I had some great piano teachers, um, really good yeah. ones. Um, and so, uh, you know, maybe some of the good, your... their good teaching rubbed off on me, not <laughs> on piano, but elsewhere, maybe. What you know? do you remember about those those piano teachers or those piano lessons? Um, well, there was a really great the the one that. Um, I remember studying with, and, and again, I, I didn't last as long as I probably should have with, was uh, Dorothy Payne. And um, she was kind of a, she's, if you if you uh, talk about her in among pianists, especially pedagogues, they kind of talk in hushed tones. She's uh, She used to play mm. with the Cincinnati Symphony. And um, mm. it's really a fine teacher, but she just, she always got beyond at least for me, she she had a half of the conversation was always beyond technique. It was always about what are you trying mm -hmm. to, what do you hear from the music? What is it that you feel should be coming out of this music? What is, you know, what emotion do you hear being conveyed? Um, and, and, and the other part about it um, is she just had such a wonderful studio uh, of other students that um, you got mm -hmm. to hear other people are pursuing things and, and it was joyful I, again kind of coming back to that mm. I, I never heard there was never a harsh tone from her ever and and that for me really has carried over um i'm sure mm -hmm. almost anybody who's had musical lessons over the course of their lifetime i i think at some point you run into that taskmaster you know mm -hmm. the, some the person who's going to really try to hold your Whiplash. feet to the flames yeah, maybe, you know, uh, I don't think I ever got quite that close to whiplash, but I definitely had some people who were pushing hard and, mm -hmm. and I just never felt like I ever got the same kind of positive response, um, for myself or, yeah. or for my students by taking that approach. I, I just felt that as long as you were enjoying the ride, if you're having a great time with the ride, then in, th there was never a big ask to keep working hard yeah you know yeah, yeah. discipline just followed you know it, you didn't have to work on discipline discipline is what you'd want to do because you realized you'd get this outcome and it would be beautiful and be fun so right yeah yeah I, that's one thing that always struck me sitting in ensemble with you and there are very few teachers or mentors i've had i can think of two only yourself and Sam Palafian, who had a knack of like, there was never that taskmaster thing. It was never degrading. It was never humiliating. There was a way that, that you and, and, and Sam both would demand a high, high level of execution and musicianship and and somehow we wanted it feels like magic to me when i see teachers do this i it's something i struggle with with my own students is like how do you keep the demands high keep them pushing keep them growing and still keep it f fun <laughs> yeah it seems like magic to me 
I, you know, um, that, that's interesting. I, I probably feel more like this when I'm in front of an ensemble than I do maybe in a private lesson situation. But in front of an ensemble, I, I just, I've always tried to convey this and maybe it's worked and maybe it hasn't. I mean, I certainly there's years where I feel it has not worked. <laughs> but, but there's, I'd say most of the time, I think it kind of comes across. I, I, I have, I almost always inevitably have some sort of a talk with the students at some point during a, a the, over the course of the year. And it's normally mm -hmm. when things start, either they're sliding or people are just starting to get too busy or, or, or things are getting a, a little hectic for folks, but it's, um, you know, music's just too much fun not to do it to your utmost, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, and that's kind of the way approach I look I, I take to it. It's like, if you I really want to have fun, and, and the conversation is, do we really want to have fun or not? You know, and, and it's really, it, it's coming down. Do you really want to have an experience that you may never experience again in your life? You know, mm -hmm. um, and, and sometimes if you have a, I, I've always just, it's almost magical when you have a group of people who outperform themselves. You know, they, they just, mm -hmm. they're playing at a level that almost seems like, I can't, I can't believe we're there. You know, like we're playing at that level. And it's so much fun. And we've all had that moment, you know, either playing in a small group or with other mm. people. It's kind of a, it's, it's, you kind of walk away when you're just smiling because you're going, wow, we just absolutely went someplace that we couldn't imagine going, you know. Mm. Yeah. I, those those are the moments I live for. You know, I just think they're great, and and if but the only way you get there, I think the only way you get there is with everybody. It, it's not like you have to try hard. <laughs> that Yoda thing. Try not, but it, it's right. a, but you have to, but you really have to um, have the discipline or the mentality that you're going to put your best foot forward or best effort forth. And, yeah. and that doesn't mean that you have to put a lot of pressure on yourself. In fact, I think it's the other way around. I think if you know you've put in your best effort, then you can let things happen. You know, then, it, then it's like, well, I'm okay doing it. I, I know as a performer, the only time I get upset with myself, or and maybe that's not even fair, because most of the time when I don't, if I don't have the time to put it in like I'd like to, I just don't mm -hmm. feel as comfortable. I don't feel comfortable being, being there as a performer. Yeah. But yeah, when yeah. I've had the time, and it, it's even even when things have gone bad, you know, I don't really care at that point. Um, I feel like I've done my best. I walked in, I put my best foot forward, and you know, and sometimes things are great, and sometimes they aren't. Um, yeah. But that's kind of life too, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's other parts of life as well. So I. Yeah. I. I. Um, yeah. It's it's just cool. I mean, where where else do you get to do that? I mean, other than music. I mean, I'm sure there are other things, but for me, it's like that's been the yeah. it's been a playground my whole life. You know, it's just it's been great. Yeah. What was the first ensemble you led? Do you remember? Yeah, uh, I led my high school stage band. <clears throat> um, it was kind of funny. We in high school we had, um, I think I had three band directors in four years. And uh, the stage band was sort of this auxiliary group, and it was a stage band, so we were playing, you know, Glenn Miller things. It wasn't mm -hmm. a typical jazz band. This was kind of much older than that. 
So yeah. um, we weren't playing all, all the cool things that we <laughs> that we're, everybody else plays now. But right. um, uh, at the time, nobody wanted to touch that. So that was a group that was always student-led. So my brother directed that group. And then when he mm -hmm. went off to college, I started directing that group. And so I believe, I can't even remember. I think it was either, I think it was two years I directed that group. And um, boy, learned a lot of lessons quickly, you know, about being in front of people and what works <laughs> and what doesn't. I, that was probably the only, you would have appreciated that <clears throat> being in one of my ensembles, Steve, <laughs> because by the time I got to you, I, pr I probably had made all my mistakes. But boy, I made some serious ones there, <laughs> I'm sure. You know, I, I would get mad. Um, because I just did, I got mad at people because I didn't think they were putting in the effort at the ensemble. You know? And yeah, and I got literally would get mad. I I had a temper as a kid, and and mm. and seeing it backfire on me, probably around then or through the course of my childhood or adolescence, uh, that that really uh, stuck with me um, because it really mm. backfired. You know, every time I get mad, it seemed like a, it, there weren't positive outcomes from that. Losing my temper never seemed to make anything a lot better or losing my cool. And yeah. so um, by the time I yeah. started working with ensembles at the college level, um, then it became, you know, obvious that wasn't going to work for me. And, and, and I just never went there. I don't think I ever went there by the time I got in front of a group at college level. And so I, I started teaching college level groups at, um, when I had an assistantship at Northern, uh, Colorado. And so UNC. I started, I started with the third band then and then the second band. So yeah. And it started in rehearsed groups there and it was fun. Those groups were a blast. Mm -hmm. Um, I bet. Yeah. And were you writing for those groups at UNC also? Um, yeah, I was, I was deep in graduate work at that point. I'd done more writing earlier at North Texas as an undergrad. Okay. I was I actually, I started writing for my high school group when I was directing it. Uh, my brother tried to get me involved with that because he was Did writing you? for the group. Yeah. And so um, <laughs> I was trying to recall this the other day, too. We we were uh, kind of reminiscing and and, um, and uh I think the very first thing I tried to arrange for the high school group was a Blood, Sweat, and Tears song. I think it was called Holy John, something like that. I did that, and I think another tune called Cowboys and Indians. Or Anyway, but I remember the very first one that I tried to arrange, I, uh, uh, my brother was trying to show me the ropes, and I ended up at the tail end of it, uh, when I was writing out parts, um, transposing the trumpets rather than up a step, down a step. So I brought the arrangement in and it just fell apart, you know, but it still seemed exciting. <laughs> that was a funny part. So that kind of got me going. So I, I probably did, I don't know, not a lot, a handful of arrangements um, mm -hmm. uh, for that high school group. And then I did a lot of writing. I started getting into it more at North Texas for sure. And then by the time I got to UNC, I was doing some writing, but I was also kind of experiencing teaching for the first time. And mm -hmm. I found that that was, um, I don't know, I wanted to, I wanted to research that, <clears throat> you know, I, I wanted to mm -hmm. understand it a little bit better and, and certainly devote more time to it and see whether I could get better at it. Um, I hadn't mm -hmm. decided at that point that I wanted to go into teaching, by the way, I just, 
I, I thought I would go off and be a studio musician or studio writer. Um, but, uh, yeah, but it just, it, I don't know, kind of, that's when it really took hold for me that I really thought, wow, I really am enjoying this teaching stuff. Who was your, who was your mentor there at UNC? Uh, the leader of the program there was Gene Aiken. And I don't know if you know Gene, but, um, he's kind mm-hmm. of a, he's a, a, a name. He, he's one of the kind of pioneers in jazz education. Um, and so boy, he's, he was a, a a really interesting, a really wonderful model for me in a lot of ways. Um, the thing that, I, and this is not to discount anything him, of him as a musician, but the thing that really uh, came home to me there is just realizing that how much the, of the environment that he created in, at UNC, which largely was him, he was a just a force to be reckoned with. I mean, just really energetic person um and, and but he just had a love for putting things together projects together um that few people mm. i know do to this day i think he's 84 now he's in uh lives in taiwan he put he's created this thing called jazz education abroad he just started a new publishing company um these i jazz tunes um that is gonna that's opening up an asian market this guy is just, this is what he's done mm. his whole life, you know, and none of us could yeah. keep up with him. None of us. I mean, and we were working our rear ends off trying to, but he's just, a, uh, he just has that kind of energy. But he really, as, as I said, the thing that was so striking and so impressive to me was how he could get so many people involved in a project and with, and, and just have so much fun with it at the same time. So, Mm -hmm. um, while I was there, uh, one of the things to this day, uh, uh, Northern Colorado had this huge jazz festival. Um, I I want to say there were upwards of 300 groups that would attend each year. And that, you know, was one of the things he put together along with a multitude of other things. He, He was just, and, and the other thing that I really got from Gene was that he was fascinated with things that were new. You know, he really didn't sit on his laurels. I mean, there was, he didn't really look back. He was always looking forward to what the next mm-hmm. thing could be. And um, both, mm-hmm. I'd say both musically and, you know, administratively. So it was fun to see see that. And I think that's, mm-hmm. I think that's what I got most of from him. Um, musically, it was fun too, yeah. but I, that was, that was the deal. Um Musical mentors, I mean, people I think who really affected my musicianship. uh, um, Well, it's hard to say that without thinking that my brother had a tremendous amount to do with a lot of things for me. Yeah. uh, Because he did. Sure. I mean, he showed me a lot of things, both directly and indirectly. Although it's odd, after we both became professionals, we just didn't spend that much time together. Um, and haven't, he lives in Florida. I live in Oregon. <laughs> you know, right. It's a hard, it's a hard <laughs> ask to get us together at times, but, but he has very similar, yeah. uh, a very similar, although he's much, he's a much stronger writer and he's really taken writing to a, a different level than I, um, that's really where his heart is mm. and where he, he goes. I love to write. I think I'm, I think I'm pretty good at it. I probably, if I would devote more time to it. Um, 
I, I could see myself doing a lot more with it. Maybe that'll happen as, you know, I get older and older and older, which is catching up with me. But yeah. um, I've always just like, <laughs> for me, I can't stop playing. Um, I just love it. Mm -hmm. You know, the, that to me is, is when you're playing and you're playing well, there's just nothing like it. Um, and and yeah. um, I also love, this is, this is the part that I know kind of drives some of my students a little nuts, but I love practicing. I mean, you could put me in a room for 10 hours a day and I'd just be happy as a pig in mud. And it's not because I feel like I'm going to all of a sudden become a world-beating saxophone mm -hmm. player. You, I mean, you met somebody like Donnie McCaslin. I'm going, well, that's not going to happen. You know, but, but I always feel like I'm learning something because, you know, I always feel like, it's true. I mean, I just whether whether it's a physical thing about playing the instrument or whether or look at the way this, you know, if I'm listening to somebody or transcribing, it's like, look at how they did that. Isn't that amazing? You know, um, or mm. who would have thought that, you know, and uh, those are yeah. the things that are just fascinating to me. And if I can share those with my students, that's when I think it starts getting really fun. You know, that's when it, you know, it's all a journey for all of us, and we're just having a hell of a lot of fun <laughs> while we do it. So, yeah, talking too much. You can cut me off anytime you want to, Steve. <laughs> no, no, no. This is all. So, I want to talk about practicing. I'm curious what what your routine looks like these days when you step in the room. <laughs> well, it's funny you mention that because uh, COVID struck an interesting blow to my uh, desire to be around saxophone for a while. I, I really, um, or around music in general. It was kind of weird. I had conversations with many of my very best friends, and it was a kind of a tough time for me. I, I just, I, I'm, I think I'm too much of a social animal. And, um, and the mm -hmm. social aspect of it was gone. And, and for me, that... I just, I don't know. I, I wasn't finding, like you said, the joy that I, I, I find in music, I was having a hard time finding. And so I didn't want to walk up to either writing or playing without, and I would say this better way, being in love with the idea of doing it. Um, because yeah, yeah. that's when I feel like I do my best work and then what I do. So I, I took a huge hiatus. I mean, for me, it's a, I, I, I told my wife I'd never spent that much time away from my saxophone ever, um, ever in my mm. lifetime. So I just kind of came back to it maybe, uh, maybe a month ago. Uh, and, but now I'm about six hours a day. <laughs> six hours. <laughs> uh, just because it's so fun. And, and uh, yeah, it is. But there are other things that are going on for me right now, just personally. I mean, I, I'm, I'm an old guy, Steve. <laughs> You're not <laughs> and, that uh, old, Steve. And technically, some things uh, I'm having to work through. I mean, like my, I, I'm old enough to retire, uh, <laughs> and uh, but uh, yeah, there's some little things like I've got little arthritis and stuff in my left hand. Yeah, yeah. So I'm doing these X. So part part of my, I mean, this is kind of a challenge. So, I mean, I'm looking at this going, okay, this is what this looks like. Let's see how we, what's the workaround for this? So I'm doing more just really um, kind of basic hand warm-ups, left hand warm-up things. I do about mm -hmm. a half hour of that. 
um, to see if I can strengthen and, and, and keep things going with my left hand. So that's a little part of the routine. But after that, um, I'm working on time. I've decided it's my, it's my Achilles heel as a performer. I feel like I, mm -hmm. you know, moderate tempos, but when I get up to up tempos, I want to be able to, you know, do a little bit better than I can do. So, um, what I'm really trying to work on is uh, time in my playing right now. So, like, what what tempos are we talking about? I'm trying to put the half note, anything half note 120 and up. So, like, 120 to kind of 144. And mm -hmm. and so, generally, what happens is uh, I start playing up tempo tunes and. If I've warmed up and everything's cool, you know, I mean, arthritis aside, you know, that kind of stuff. If I've warmed up and I'm ready to go, I, I just find that I fall into, I think I fall into certain traps that I don't care for, um, where mm -hmm. I just play a lot of notes and I feel like, I feel obliged to make that tempo when, when I feel like there's not, if I'm listening, I record myself and I listen back, I go, there's not a lot of rhythmic meaning to what I'm doing. And, and some of the things I would ask my students to do, I don't do at all, you know, um, which is funny. <laughs> uh, but so I'm trying to play more with rhythmic motives, see if I can sustain a rhythmic motive throughout things, um, see if I can modify the motive uh, and sustain a motive mm -hmm. for, you know, a few choruses, things like that. Um, some of that comes back to fundamentals. And for me, it's like whether, you know, I still go through really, I, I, I have a handful of patterns that I work um, through scales um, all the time. Mm -hmm. And then the, then the discovery thing for me too is I, I, I this is kind of going, it, I've been so fortunate to be at, you know, at Oregon all this time and, and have guest artists come through because every time a guest artist comes through, they always have these wonderful ideas for how they're practicing and doing things. So I have a, like a grocery list that's way too long of things that I could try. And, and yeah. probably that's my Achilles heel as a player. <clears throat> it, because I, I get so uh, intrigued by them, I probably don't stick with the ones that I need to long enough to see them come to fruition. <laughs> but, but I remember a long time ago, um, this is, I had notes from a long time ago when Rich Perry came through. And mm -hmm. Rich is one of my favorite players. I just think he's a fabulous player. And... He was just talking about a really simple way of working through songs, doing these um, various kind of chord outlinings with um, arpeggiations that involve voice leading. And, I mean, that's my interpretation mm -hmm. of it. If Rich heard this, he, he would go, what okay. the hell is Steve talking about? <laughs> but, <laughs> but for me, that's what I saw. So I've been, I've been going through these songs, just doing various versions of chord outlining with motives that involve voice leading. And so that's been really fun. And so I feel like some, in some ways, mm -hmm. I think my playing gets, you know, my voice leading is getting quite a bit stronger as I play too. Mm. But I, I always hear the harmony. The harmony is not the thing that gets me, you know, as a player. I think my ability to, A, maintain a certain level of technique, but also, like I said, rhythmic stuff. So that's where my focus is really going. Here's another cut from Steve's CD, Stand Up 8, this one's entitled Following in Your Footsteps.
So tell me, yeah, the six hours. I'm intrigued what you're doing, like how you're filling the six hours. Oh, what I do to fill six hours? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, I'm working on, I'm working on being able to access vocabulary, like I said, at faster tempos. So one of the kind of the basic constructs I'm trying to use are these, I, I, I took some lessons from David Baker years ago. And it, it, so he's big on, was big on bebop scales. Um, mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to take certain vocabulary and drop it in bebop scales at first certain tempos. So one of the, I would spend probably easily an hour taking um, a handful of basic bebop scales, trying to access this vocabulary um, within the context of it in a spot. It's not really spontaneous, but it's, it's, but I can get to it whenever I want to within the context of these scales. And, um, and so in doing that, um, one of the things, part of my practice is that I'm now going back and listening to some really kind of classic bop players to listen to what vocabulary they've kind of accessed, I think in a very similar fashion. So somebody I've been listening to, um, kind of at the urging of my compadre here at uh, at school, uh, Paul Kruger is real into Booker Little, and so I was checking out some Booker Little and Kenny Dorham and stuff like that. I, I've always liked trumpet players. This is weird. I play saxophone, <laughs> but I really like the vocabulary trumpet players use. So hmm. um, I've heard a couple wrinkles there. Um, I went back and listened to a couple things like Clark Terry. I love Clark still. I always, mm -hmm. always love Clark Terry. And so sure. he has some little gestures and stuff like that just fall within there. So it's just trying to get the facility to get in and out of these ideas and still maintain um, those scales. So I, I probably an hour or so on that where I, I'm trying this with different rhythmic subdivisions. So I'm trying to think of them as eighth notes, six uh, triplets. Uh, everything is a triplet. See if it makes sense to me. See if the vocabulary starts feeling right as a triplet in that, mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of discovering how I might run into it. Um, so clearly, clearly an hour on that at this point, mm -hmm. I, this is just my current routine. Yeah, yeah. Then I do voice leading. Um, uh, I do a, like some of the voice leading exercises probably for an hour, an hour and a half where I go through, um, first I'll just do it as a pattern. I'll take, I'll take a voice leading thing through all my two five ones or three, six, two five ones. And then I go to a song and try to really work with one or two songs and see if I can uh, make that voice leading work. Do mm -hmm. this thing. I call it um, morphing. I don't know. Uh, but do this routine. I, I, I'd like to say that's something that Tim Hagen's. <laughs> I it's kind of a combination of different people that I've <clears throat> appreciated over the years. And I can't really remember who got me started on this. But... Um, but Tim Hagens has, I remember him, uh, this is from afar. So again, apologies to Tim Hagens if this is inaccurate, but <laughs> I remember him talking about working on playing lines by shapes or taking directions to things like, I'm going to play a line that just from the bottom of my instrument all the way to the top of the instrument. Now my next line is going to be from the top of the instrument all the way to the bottom of the instrument. Now I'm going to do a line that goes all the way to the top and all the way back down to the bottom all in one foul swoop. And so what I'll do is take, I'll make myself maintain those shapes while I'm only using chord tones and going up and down the instrument. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. or I'll do the same thing, trying to do the same thing with scales um, and see whether I can maintain ideas going up and down the instrument. Um, so that one's a challenge. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so there's that. Um, I don't, it, it's, listening is a part of this for sure. Um, probably mm -hmm. a good hour of it I'm spent with headphones on just listening to different people are trying to track things down um, that I do. Are you transcribing? Transcribing? Yeah. The, right now my transcriptions are just little snippets of things. I'm not generally going through and transcribing entire solos. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, I transcribe passages or things. I'll transcribe... If it's a song that I'm kind of checking out... I mean, part of this... Part of my stuff is is repertoire study too. I probably I'll spend a good hour and a half on on material uh, working through songs, and a lot of times they're my songs that I'm just working on that I'm writing, mm -hmm. because I, I, I <laughs> my ability to compose things that I can't play over well is striking. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> because I have this image. It's funny. I have this image of other people playing these these. This is where I don't get, you know, I should not compose mm -hmm. for myself because I'm not up to it, <laughs> up to playing my own tunes. But, um, but there, are, there are people, um, I know there's types of songs that I'm writing right now. Uh, it's been fascinating. It's demanding a new type of vocabulary for me too, developing mm -hmm. a new type of vocabulary. Um, so somebody who kind of comes from it, a couple of players we had through that I think kind of embraced that maybe in little different ways, two saxophonists. We had uh, uh, Walter Smith, third through. I don't know if you know Walter. Mm -hmm. Really great player, tenor player from Houston originally, mm -hmm. and we had him out as a guest artist. And he still has that. He, he kind of comes at it, um, in my estimation, he comes at things in a kind of a very modal fashion. In, in some ways, kind of a he has a little bit of that throwback, but he still has a lot of this very new vocabulary. Uh, that's based more, on, I think, on, a, on new pitch sets, things like that. And then somebody that I really mm -hmm. admire uh, um, for a very similar way. And, and a lot of, I think, some of the songs he ends up playing over are uh, demand this kind of vocabulary. Like Ben Wendell, if you know Ben's playing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I um, know Ben Wendell. Yeah. Both of them, I, I, I just think, are strikingly good players, completely different. Um, uh, yeah, but... the. But some of the music I'm writing, like it's it's not like you'd ever want to play over it with bebop scales, you know. It just sounds out of context, <laughs> yeah. and the context, the, the song context, it, it really demands something different. And so for me now, I'm trying to I'm trying to work up some very basic work within pitch sets. So I I, I mean I can go tech, a little technical on you here, but it's like from a major scale rather than thinking of an entire scale or a pentatonic, which I, Spent a long time with pentatonics earlier mm -hmm. in my life. There are things just like a, a one, three, four, five pitch set. Like what happens if you just have one, three, four, and five of a scale? How does that work? What if it's just one, two, three, nothing? You know, one, two, three, seven, or, you know, you can, I work mm -hmm. little pitch sets and, and with certain songs and mm -hmm. see if I can just manage to sound good over my songs um, doing that. Yeah. So, um, What's not right now in my practice too much, 
but I wouldn't call it practice because I, I just never think of it as practice, but I do write, um, I'm probably writing an hour and a half a day too. Mm -hmm. And that's been fun. Uh, but I'm kind of on a new tear right now. My, uh, for me, it's a new tear where I'm, I'm not trying to write anything large ensemble pieces at all. I'm trying to write, simply write mm -hmm. a lot of songs. So that is one thing that I kind of did okay with over COVID. Um, mm. I, I tried to stay disciplined enough, primarily because I was teaching and I was asking my students to write things quickly. I, I just gave myself the same assignment, basically. It'd be like, get up in the morning, write a tune. You know, use a mm -hmm. technique. So write a melody tune. and chords, right? Yeah, everything. A simple song. It could be, you know, it could be 12 bars mm -hmm. long. It could be, you know, 60. But get a song done. And um, and I was, and wow. I was really asking myself to use techniques or try to develop new techniques for writing that um, I was asking my students to use as well. So we one of, for example, one of the games I would play. I call them games, but um, say I want you to write a progression of pentatonic scales, not a progression of chords, nothing else. Try a progression of pentatonic scales, and then. Okay, now for each pentatonic, I want you to go ahead and list every single chord that could potentially use that pentatonic. Okay, <clears throat> and then after you've written this progression of pentatonics, you have all these scale chords surrounding each pentatonic. I want you to go ahead and write what you think is the strongest motive you can through that first pentatonic, and then let's see if you can, you know, develop that motive through the remaining pentatonics and assign chords to them. And I and for a while, you can be random with those chords. See what comes out of it, you know? Hmm. And so that was one of the games. I mean, that would be one thing, but I was going, well, I should probably make myself do this too. <laughs> 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 and so I have some legs to stand on. And, yeah. um, you know, although I'd, I'd written some things that were kind of based, that used that technique, I didn't really ask myself to do it exclusively. So I'd go through and try to write something exclusively doing that and stuff. It was fun. I mean, it, 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 it cool. just keeps me going. No, you were going to say about the last two hours, like two hours of pl probably just playing or something. Not really practicing. Something? I'm, I'm oh, that part. You were going to say. Yeah. Yeah, I got I to give myself a little bit of time just to put, put some songs on and just play and, and just see how I can do. Um, and... Uh, that part for me is uh, I have a horrible memory always have. And so it kind of allows me to kind of either remember some songs, revisit some songs um, mm -hmm. that I like to play or that I like to keep up and play well. And, and that I can try to f do something new with, you know, try a different yeah. approach to. Um, but yeah. Do you, re do you record it's, your practicing at all? I do portions of it, not the whole thing. I do by the time I start, by the time I start um, playing along with any kind of a recording, I want to mm -hmm. hear myself for about, I'll record it and listen to about 10 minutes. And that's about like it. How that's soon, how soon after do you listen to, listen back to it? Oh, kind of when I'm putting things away. I try to listen right away and not, and then not dwell on it because normally, it, it, why am I working on time, Steve? <laughs> I'm asking you, it's because those 10 minutes tell me I need to work on time. 
Right. You know, and, and so normally I can only, I don't need that beating for more than 10, 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, um, for me, yeah. it's, 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 it's like, well, I'm not, you know, there's some good things I hear, you know, and there's some progress sure I can mm -hmm. hear in it, but I tend to listen with a critical ear. Like what is, what, what is it that I want to work on as a result of that? Sure. So I don't, I don't have to do that every day. I, I record myself probably every other time um, yeah. at the tail end and just listen back for a little bit and go, okay, this is what I got to yeah. do. Um, so when you're saying more of it. time, when you're talking about practicing time, are you talking strictly about rhythmic ideas? Or are you talking about like playing in the groove, like playing in time? Like what do you, what do you mean when you're saying time? Yeah, probably both of those things. <clears throat> I want to have a stronger internal sense of time. Mm -hmm. um, and I want it reflected in my playing better. And, and, and part of that, I think, for me, part of that has been um, rhythmic awareness. Um, and, and maybe not so much technique. Um, some of it's definitely technical for me. I mean, some of it's just managing the instrument. I just keeping fingers and stuff and articulations mm -hmm. together and make sure that I'm really clean and, and that I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. But, um, I'd say a big part of it for me is, um, uh, not, how do I say this the right way? My musical perception, my rhythmic perception isn't as strong as I think it needs to be, like awareness of everything around me. So I've been mm -hmm. trying some other things too. This last school year, for example, I, I started playing hand percussion with the Latin ensemble um, just to work on things and, and just also introduce myself to more, um, you know, rhythms, you know, just rhythms that are underlying rhythms, you know, that can mm -hmm. that would throw me off the horse things that i mean throw me off the horse or sometimes if they, if i'm playing with a drummer and a drummer is a really good drummer i don't want to be that person that keeps a drummer from playing what they want to play because my time isn't strong enough that and that and that you know they can't they're falling to something that they understand is part of a rhythmic tradition that i'm unaware of and that throws me off the the horse you know I mean, again, if my time was strong enough, probably technically, maybe that wouldn't happen either. But I'd say I, I think the, when I hear myself, when I've recorded myself playing on a, a gig or something like that, and I hear myself get thrown, most of the time, it's not because I've technically gone off. It's because I get distracted. It, it's funny. I, 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 get, I, I get rhythmically distracted by what's going on. So I don't, I hear this rhythm as, I hear this rhythm as something as an entity unto itself and not part of the bigger picture. I don't know if this is making mm -hmm. sense, but yeah, I need yeah. to hear how everything, I need to hear how, um, oh, I'm forgetting the word right now. It's a simple word. Um, how everything falls into sync, how everything's mm -hmm. are synchronized. So, you know, um, it, it's the, oh, the composite rhythm. It, it's like the composite rhythm, yeah. rhythm is is lost on me when I either I start falling under a rhythm, or especially when somebody else does it. When I do it, normally it's something I'm familiar enough with that I wouldn't throw myself. But when everybody else jumps on the bandwagon, or when somebody else goes there, then I can throw I can be thrown off. 
So I try not to do that. Mm. You know, I, I try to, I'm yeah. trying to make myself more rhythmically aware. Um, yeah. Yeah. Are you using a metronome? So maybe that's kind practice? of the answer. So I'll do other things during practice. Yeah, I do all that. Yeah, I do all the silly metronome things. I put the metronome on one. I put it on one and two. I put beat two, beat three, beat four. I try to put it on dotted quarters. That's always fun. You know, just put the metronome on different beats. But I'm trying to be religious about using the metronome. I, I'm not always, especially when I'm at school and it's not convenient, I'll not do it. But I normally pay a price for not playing with the metronome or staying with it. Um, I like to stick with it or stick with recordings, things like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. It learns, it allows me to relax more when I play. Um, again, I'm feeling more confident about my time. I'm not wondering whether I'm in the pocket. I know that I'm in the pocket. <clears throat> I know I'm, I know I'm going to be mm -hmm. there. So, yeah, so it's kind of, so yeah. when you ask what part of my <laughs> playing demands rhythmic work? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All those. Yes. All parts. All um, those. But cool. it's fun. Again, I mean, yeah. if we had this, con <laughs> if we had this yeah. conquered, you know, why, why keep? I mean, it's just so much fun, right? I don't. Mm. It is, yeah. Tell me about, tell me about your writing routine. Like when you're write, when you sit down to write, are you doing, are are you doing it at the piano? Or are you doing it like just in front of paper? What's your routine with writing look like? Okay. Yeah, most of my most of my writing occurs at piano, um, but um, just like I ask my students, I ask myself to try writing in di with different formats and and different ways of going about it. So, um, I I'll step back for a second. There's there's things that um, I have a one of my good friends is uh, Dave Glenn. Um, you know him, I know, but uh, for those of yeah. people who might be listening who don't, he's really a fine trombonist, but, um, and lived in New York for a number of years, lived in Walla Walla, it's just a great trombonist, and, and, but he's also a really fine, fine writer, and he's really come to writing kind of later in his career, but he's really good. And, um, but one of the things we started talking about was just the idea of, uh, of approaching approaching your writing a little bit more like you approach your playing like and i i really try to still approach writing doing i call them warm-ups um each day but it'll be i'll take a task or a technique and kind of like i was mentioning earlier i'll give myself a half an hour to go ahead and if i can write an entire piece try to write a piece in a half an hour where i'm making decisions quickly i'm trying to dis, i'm trying to I'm not hard, I'm not really dwelling on them. I don't care if the end result is great, but uh, you know, but I'm trying to work through a technique, write what I can for half an hour, and um, and then then I get on to writing, <clears throat> you know, writing in earnest if I want to think about it. But mm -hmm. what I found is that um, then then I can I can approach my writing a lot of different ways. I can and, and I take very standard approaches, you know. Um, I'm going to try to write a functional chord progression first. Um, and then I'm going to write a melody over it in kind of a, a contrafact style. So I'm going to do something that feels like kind of a head to a bebop tune. Great. So that might be one of my tasks. Maybe my next task would be, okay, I'm going to still write a 
functional chord progression, but this time what I want to do is use more of a motive-driven approach where I write a, one significant motive and see if I can spin that motive out through the remainder of the tune, kind of like we were talking about rhythmically earlier with my improvisation. But I try to do the same thing. Um, what if I start with a rhythm? You know, what if the very first thing that starts my piece is the rhythm itself, and then I surround it with other things? So I, I always walk in to this. I have techniques, and, and in fact, I'm going to be teaching a course for the first time. <laughs> On my way out the door, I'm going to start a, a composition course, but uh, a two-term composition course, but it's largely to examine different techniques, these kind of jumping off points to get people working and thinking about songs starting in a different place. Because I think there's a tendency for writers, I know for me, and I think it's true for most of the writers I've talked to, to approach things from the same point of view frequently and mm -hmm. then expect a different result. <laughs> You know, and and I just don't think that's possible. I think sometimes you have to go ahead and shake it up, and you're going to have to start completely from a different point of view. So what if, you know, this time I'm going to start the song by improvising something on saxophone. Now I'm going to make that end up being the song. This time I'm going to sing something. This time I'm going to do everything by theory. I'm not going to even, you know, and, and this gets to be fascinating for me because... Um, I have pretty good ears, but I don't hear everything. Um, and mm -hmm. so when I start with that approach, there's going to be, a, I, can, I can imagine a lot of those things, but there's still going to be some question marks. And at that point, I'm going, do I, I make myself fall back on theoretical decisions and see if they work, you know? And it's fascinating, mm -hmm. you know? It's like, oh, wow. I actually weaseled my way through that whole thing. I would never have done that if, you know, I was using, if I was at the piano. I would have made a different decision mm -hmm. all told. So I, I think those are, I, I really think it's great to approach things from different points of views, you know, um, and different starting points and, and go from there. What if, you know, okay, like I said, I was talking about that pentatonic-y thing. Um, mm -hmm. That's kind of a game that I, I'm, I base it loosely on what I think Kenny Wheeler does at times, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, when he writes, it, there's entire pieces that you can hear. There's a, what's the tune? Is it, uh, which one is it? Maybe it's Smatter. Smatter. I don't know if you know that tune, but I believe it's one I, where it's just that if you look at the underlying texture, it's like a, it's a, it's almost like a progression of pentatonics that allows them. And I've always felt, well, okay, so what if pentatonic started that thought process as opposed to the other way around, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and you can do a fair amount of modeling. I'll go ahead. That'd be a, another kind of thing I can do. Okay, here's a monk tune. Can I, can I think like monk? Let's see how that goes. Yeah. You know, can I think like yeah. Wayne Shorter? I'd love to think like Wayne Shorter. <laughs> 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 he's he's my guy, yeah. um, but there's a lot to be seen. <clears throat> he is. I mean, at, at that yeah, I I can't say enough there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's. I mean, why does you know how, how did that come about? You know, how did that work? You know, can I take that same approach? Yeah. I wanna I wanna talk about teaching. So here's a question. So I have a really good friend who's a She's got her doctorate in, in harpsichord 
She studied at IU. She's been a classical musician her entire life. She's got students coming to her wanting to play jazz. She feels like she wants to understand like jazz and, and be able to help her students. What, what would you do with someone who's 40 years old, who's been a classically trained musician their whole life, and they want to start playing jazz? Where would you start them? What would you say to them? Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. You always ask such great questions, Steve. <laughs> um, I, I'm, I, I have to think, I, I mean, I have some s basic answers here, and some of them seem just really like no-brainers, mm -hmm. but, but I think that yeah, yeah. there's a lot behind them, if you really think about it. Yeah. I think I think for the teacher, and I'm going to talk to the teacher and not necessarily thinking about the students at this point, but for the teacher, I think you have to enter at a place where you're comfortable, you know, and where, where you have some enthusiasm, where you're going to have some fun with this. Um, if, if that doesn't happen, it doesn't really matter what you're doing in front of the band. I, I mean, it's not going to, I don't think it's going to work. Mm -hmm. So I, I've had some, I, I've, I've, have some friends, you know, really good friends who are band directors and, and that have, um, that weren't really steep in, with a great, you know, this is not what they did. This wasn't their background. And yet I think they've been, but they're successful, you know, and what makes them successful, I think is just that they allowed themselves to be vulnerable in front of the students a little bit. They allowed themselves to be in the journey with the students. You know, and that sounds cheesy. I always, boy, I feel, boy, I feel like I'm at a music education conference now, and we should all be falling asleep. But, um, <laughs> but, but it, I think there's so much truth to that. If if you're not um, part of that journey yourself, it, it is really disingenuous. So, for somebody who's just starting off, maybe if the thing that excites them most is the thought of doing of improvising you know, or doing some improvisations and they can do it over along with a recording. And that's just what they want to be able to do is just to listen and play along with and try something where they don't have the, a note in front of them, but they're actually coming up with things on their own. I think, I think that's, that's fun. There, there's some things that I do like to see people do that I think are kind of good game starters. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these has to have to do with the idea of improvising. Um, spontaneously and not necessarily um, oh, having any kind of an agenda or I kind of taking instruments out of the, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. equation for a second. Um, I remember uh, I used to do the, I used to do this. There was a camp. Uh, we had a thing. I only did this for one summer, but it was really fun. We had a camp. It's called Sail at the university, and it's for students who are wanting a different experience than the one they've normally had, right? And and mm -hmm. but so we'd have a bunch of non-majors, and I say, so what we're going to do? So let's create a film score. <laughs> As I said, let's use let's create a film score over the course of these two weeks, <clears throat> and but we're going to only do with the sounds around us. And we're gonna and we're gonna improvise you. So let's look at this. Let's look at this film and what music should go along. Let's talk about it. Is it eerie? Is it creepy? Is it happy? Is it? And we kind of assign adjectives to things. And at that point, mm -hmm. then we start looking around at how can we make something in this room sound happy? You know, how can we make something in this room sound creepy? 
creepy normally is the first thing they go for, by the way. <laughs> creepy is great. <clears throat> you know, um, but but how can you do that? And then can you, and it was amazing. You know, you can put together a, a really interesting score with people. So they're making music. It's not like mm -hmm. they're not making the music. And a lot of it, we just ask it to be improvised at the moment. So if we've got, maybe we have, just like an improviser would, like I think a jazz musician would, it's not like everything comes out of, you know, is completely spontaneous. It's like we have these ideas or we have these sounds that we can access and we kind of make a library of these things that might fit that mood and then say, okay, we're going to, let's maybe, let's just let the film roll and let's see what happens now, knowing that these are things we might be able to draw upon. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, it doesn't always work, but it's really fun and, and it, it's great to see. So that's one thing that I think. The other one that I, I have, um, an old grad student who's now, and now he's an old teacher, an old professor, um, <laughs> a guy named Jared Burroughs. But Jared, uh, I thought I learned a lot from Jared when he was through. He was, uh, uh, he, he, uh, he had a strong background in um, like uh, spontaneous improvisation, uh, you know, complete, let's, mm -hmm. we're going to drop the, you know, I'm going to drop my wallet when it hits the floor we're going to make music we're going to start playing and nobody has discussed anything you know and here we go right um i i i think there's a lot to be said for free improvisation genuinely free improvisation with the youngsters um getting them hmm. and, and if you're as a teacher are really into it, it you can have that same i mean that same experience i was just talking about the next step is to add instruments you know and mm. not have an agenda around the instrument sound. So what if they don't make a great sound at that moment? If they're middle school kids, but if they're improvising, first of all, they're going to get comfortable with it, with the idea of expressing themselves. And I think for me, I've always tied emotion or for me, it's emotion to mm. music. And mm. um, if, if you can create an emotional score, to anything and let students jump in with their instruments. It's amazing. They're musical. People are musical right from the get go. Mm -hmm. There's not, it's, it's when we put that musicianship on hold and ask them to wait until they have enough skill to be able to become real musicians. That's when you've really screwed people up. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, we're at our best when we're allowing people to be creative right from the get go. And, mm -hmm. and so that's where I, that's why I really like that free improv, more free improvisation. And, and I've, I've done that a lot. I've used that a lot, especially I, I don't work with middle school kids regularly. I mean, I, I have, the, you know, opportunities here and there. My greatest opportunities normally be in these camps and things like that, um, that I do during summers. And wow, I mean, it's fascinating. It's, it's great. It's fun. And, and, and it's musical right from the get go. So yeah. I'm not sure that answered cool. your question, but that's where I'd like. That's where I'd start with somebody. <laughs> I'd just say, you know, don't don't wait to start yeah. improvising. Start improvising now, you know, and and get going. Right. I love it. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be jazz. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, make sure you mention that I did quotation marks with my fingers. I, I will admit, yeah, with the quotations and fingers, yes, I will. Tr I really mention that. Um, so, jazz pedagogy is something I I wanted to talk about because 
you know, there's this, the history of jazz. I mean, jazz pedagogy kind of evolved out of higher education. I mean, it, it you know, if you look historically, it was a it was a oral tradition, right? It was like people throwing on records and learning that way, and then as it entered into the university scene, there became this pedagogy around it, like chords, learning your chord scales, and and you know this whole theoretical, you know, or cerebral portion of it. And um, where where do you where do you see jazz pedagogy today? Is like the best jazz pedagogy that you see out there is it you know, like how how do you how do how are they bridging that gap between the the way it was the way the masters maybe learned it which was just by strictly mimicking and learning and then being around a culture where they were playing all the time to institutionalized jazz learning where you have to give grades and and there's like metrics that you have to meet if that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, as you know, if somebody can't get a good grade, they don't, you know, no, I, I'm, it's all about the grades you get. So I don't care That's how right. you get there. It's just get that grade. Um, no, I, uh, wow. You know, there's, it's, I can honestly, I've been in academia now for almost 35 years, 36 years. Yeah. Um, well, that's that, just teaching. That's just right. teaching before, you know, so I haven't really left it. Um, <laughs> and, I'd, and I'd say that's one of the, uh, that's kind of one of the sticking points for me. It's always been a sticking point for me too, because I just, because I do think that what we gain too frequently people come at music from a theoretical point of view. And I, and I can say this having gotten a master's degree that is in theory as well as composition. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I always say that don't let the, uh, if, if you have a dog, if you have a dog and you have, the dog has a tail, theory is the tail. The dog is music and not the other way around. Mm -hmm. and, right. and, and you don't want theory wagging the dog, you know, wagging music, you know, it's a reflection yeah. of what goes on. Now, I, I, I think it's, it's fascinating because I think it can, as we mentioned with that whole composition process, it's not like you can't use theory to aid yourself in getting someplace, but the you have to have an image of where you're trying to go or, or, or and, and that comes through listening and that, and that comes through I mean, that's really what it's about. So if you're not listening and you're not checking things out, and, and and that is kind of one of the cool things about jazz is always, like you said, that oral tradition has been around forever and a day. And, and I think it's always been to the benefit of musicianship in general, is mm -hmm. that, that that comes with it. The other thing, and, and I, won't, I won't get into long, I won't get into social issues here too much. <laughs> right. Um, uh, although we could go there, <clears throat> um, is that uh, music exists. I think the most magical music that I have heard in my lifetime occurs because of a community of, of musicians. And I think it's still a collaborative venture 
largely that succeeds most. Whether that's orchestral writing where you have a fantastic group of performers who have interpreted something in a magical way, or they mm -hmm. breathe they breathe their life into the music, um, but it's I think it's always been collaborative, and and um, whether it's with music and dance, with you name it, you know it, it just mm -hmm. and um, so to take the social elements out of it, which I think happens a lot in a university setting in spite of the fact that they call it being social because you're in these groups. But what you're really doing is you're, you're spending so much time sometimes with um, maybe the theoretical, that's a poor choice of words mm -hmm. for what, what goes on. But boy, if we don't leave enough time for those collaborative ventures, you don't leave enough time for people to work together. You don't leave them to, to, to find their own paths through things. Then I think it's really a challenge. And that's, to me was why, I, I mean, I, I studied classical music as well, but mm -hmm. the, the part that I made, the, the draw to me to jazz is, is just really what you're talking, it's, it's the willingness to be involved, the community was real attractive to me, but especially the willingness to go ahead and work collaboratively towards new projects. Fascinating, you know, it's just always been fascinating to me. So um, there's so much to be gained from, that oral tradition, whether it's just hanging out. I mean, there was an old, uh, oh gosh, why am I drawing a blank on his name right now? This is terrible. Uh, but I grew up in Cincinnati and I wasn't a, um, I, I came to jazz. I mean, although we had a stage band, the idea of improv improvisation for me came very late. Composition came earlier. Um, but improvising wasn't till I was well into college that I started working on it in any in earnest. But I remember coming home and um, to Cincinnati, and there was a oh gosh, I can't think of the tenor player's name right now. It's this is horrible. But he was a, 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 a kind of a figure in jazz in Cincinnati for years, and, and he had a steady gig. And and uh, but. I remember going down and feeling kind of good about myself because I was finally working on improvisation, feeling like, hey, you know, I've got some stuff going on now. I'm going to go sit in at the session. And um, going down to that jam session, and he was super kind and really nice. Um, mm. But here was a, a tenor player who's beautiful player, didn't read a note of music, did everything by ear. And I remember he said some of the, probably the best thing anybody could have told me at the time. It, he goes, uh, I, I played a chorus or two, I forget what tune it was. It was some standard. It went, mm -hmm. autumn, who knew? Autumn leaves, it could have been anything. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but I, all I remember was him turning to me, he goes, <laughs> will you quit playing all that shit? <laughs> he goes, just play the melody, man. <laughs> And I said, well, you're not playing the melody. I'm hearing you do it. He goes, nah, you're wrong. I'm playing the melody all the time. And I was just like, that one hit me. That was like, wow. yeah, he was. Yeah, I mean, it's because, you know, you know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, uh, he was super kind. That was the best part. I mean, he was right. just a sweetheart. And he didn't, and he didn't. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have listened to anything. But man, that really hit me because he was <laughs> a he was being nice. Two, he completely schooled me, you know, and, you know, sent me on the way. But it was it was really great to hear. Mm. 
and it was really important. And it, it showed me importance too, in terms of how I was listening to people, the things that I was listening to at that time too. So yeah. people I was listening to and yeah, it was cool. Here's Fall Down 7, Stand Up 8, from Steve's album, Stand Up 8. Speaking of listening, what what are you listening to these days? What's the what? Well, Steve, you know, if I listen to anything, it would destroy the purity of my music. <laughs> no. Um, oh gosh, there's there's a lot that I'm listening to, um, and I'm kind of falling into the into the younger generation's trap. But I'm really going online and just searching for stuff now, mm-hmm. as opposed to listening to full albums and things like that that's really where i used to i still like that more yeah i i I like i love listening to full cds full albums especially if i feel like a cd has been programmed to work from beginning to end i I love that but that's not how a lot of the music's being digested right now so some of it's being kind of i'm playing some catch-up trying to listen to some folks that i i know my students are listening to that i haven't checked out as uh as much um but of the people who are who are kind of like I've spent most time listening to as of late, um, uh, well, I, I've listened to a lot of Ben Wendell's things. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy Ben's stuff. Um, 
like I said, as as much for the kind of the compositions and what it allows him to do as an improviser as anything, I just find that fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, There's, I love, I love a lot of Vince Mendoza's things still. I'm Mm -hmm. going back and checking those out, trying to check them out on a little different way. This is more for orchestration right now for me. I feel like I'm kind of stuck. Mm. I want to, I want to, before I write another big band chart, I'm not going to do it until I've done some research. Um, and my research for right now has more to do with orchestration. Um, hmm. And so I really, um, I really love the way Vince gets certain sounds, um, how he moves uh, from certain density levels, how he's moving from full ensemble sounds to these really sparse moments. And it's very dramatic and, and makes these big moves that, uh, kind of scare me a little bit to make as a writer mm-hmm. and and so I want to see how they're happening um so I'm listening a lot to that it's just part it's just pure instrumentation and this sounds very uh uh you know homegrown here but I I actually listen to my brother a lot for that yeah. he's just a great orchestrator I mean I mean I think one of the really great orchestrators for uh a jazz ensemble anyway and so, and I, it still cracks me up how he gets all these sounds. So I'm really intrigued by what he does. So I have a bunch of his scores and, you know. Yeah. And, and so I, I'm listening to that for orchestration, largely for orchestration right now. Um, mm-hmm. There are players um, <laughs> that intrigue me there. I mean, there are just so many. God, it's kind of weird. I don't. I don't know if I listen to anybody exclusively anymore. Yeah. You know, I, there were times. I mean, I had those people early in my life where I just did deep dives into one or two players. I started with, you know, Desmond was my first mm-hmm. guy because I. That's my I had a friend who. That's the first jazz I heard. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as saxophonist, then you know, kind of went straight to. I went to Cannonball. Mm-hmm. I, I had a kind of a love-hate thing with Charlie Parker. That was funny. I mean, <laughs> early on, it was like, I mean, it's such, it's, it was kind of one of these deals. There were times in my life when I really wasn't ready to hear certain stuff. Yep. And, I and but I, I kind of made myself do it. And I probably shouldn't have done it. I probably should have waited until I was really for it. I, I knew that Charlie was Parker was somebody I should like. I, that's funny because, you know, I was hearing <laughs> from people, oh, you got to, you know, Charlie Parker's the guy you got to be checking it out. And I remember listening. I, at the time, it just wasn't where my ears were. And yeah. and, and since, you know, yeah, it, it's like, oh, sh-, you know, how could I have not have checked that out more carefully? But but at the time, it, what he and Coltrane were two people that I got to too early. <laughs> the first Coltrane thing, I somebody told me I should be listening to Coltrane. I heard Love Supreme, and I went, yeah, I don't get this. <laughs> and And so, but, you know, anyway. Yeah. So there are people that I've gone through a a litany of different players at different times that I think are really Mm -hmm. that have really checked out the the one person I've I've probably checked out more than anybody um, on especially uh, I say I don't think there's a difference between this person as a writer and a player is weighing shorter. Mm -hmm. I I just like I said, he's my guy. I I, yeah. um, it's dumbfounding me. I, I, I mean, it, literally, his bring his playing brings me to tears. Any particular album? 
Um, it's funny. There's some really different ones that I, there's, there's one that I know, I don't think of it as his best, but there's a, <laughs> uh, um, oh, come on. Uh, it's a, it's albums called high life. Um, it's a, it's an electronic mm -hmm. thing, but he, um, I don't know. There's some cuts on there. They're just, uh, they're, they're highly commercial that are really cool. I love that. But those weren't the first ones I listened to. You know, um, hmm. going back, you know, I, I love like schizophrenia. I, I love that. Adam's Apple. Um, mm -hmm. I, there, there's just not almost nothing I don't like. I hate saying it. <laughs> but his playing, all this stuff with his weather report stuff was, well, that was a yeah, big, yeah. you know, one of my big uh, ooh ah moments as a, as a musician. I got to hear Weather mm -hmm. Report down at North Texas when I was down there. And, and that was like, well, okay, mm -hmm. there that just blew everything up for me at the time. And, but there's just such, his music feels so human. I, I don't, I don't mm. there's a humanity in it and, and that, I, that touches me and, and I get it. I mean, I know I, everybody comes to music at a different place and what touches one person doesn't touch every pe somebody else the same way, but wow, it just is fascinating. I mean, technically just checking stuff out like, Listen, I mean, I don't know his voicings. Yeah. I mean, I mean, his. I don't know. It's amazing. Infinite, yeah, is the masterpiece. I mean, I think that's a that's a, a masterpiece. I mean, just to write one piece like mm. that in my lifetime, I would kill for. You know, it's 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 amazing. Yeah, it, it's. Yeah. It's disturbingly beautiful. I mean, that, like I said, I can't get through that one. You know, it's it's just like that. Mm. I mean, even his play. Okay, so here's a combination for you. <laughs> what is it? What's the tune? Uh, the Joni Mitchell <laughs> tune that Vince Mendoza arranged that Wayne plays on. Oh, come on, that everybody listens to. Oh, it's one of her famous songs. R anyway, it's a river. But Wayne plays like a, a, a like a thirty second solo on this thing. Wayne. Wayne plays, he plays like, he plays octaves. He goes, dah, dah, dah. and it's like, you're going, it's crushing. I mean, it's just beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it, uh, anyway, I, the, yeah. the, yeah, some of the, yeah, he's great. Always check that. Uh, other people I like to check out. Um, I mean, I've been, been a big Brad Mel Meldell fan for a long time. Mm -hmm. I really love his playing. I just think there's something special about it. Keith, Jarrett, love Keith's playing. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, those are, I, I, I've not always been so saxophone centric, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the people I like most definitely aren't saxophonists. Um, love trumpet players. Any, always have. Yeah. I always wanted to be a trumpet player. That was. <laughs> what about vocalists? Are there any vocalists Just, that even uh, that are like uh, of this new generation that that you really like do you listen to vocalists at all i i do but this is i think this is my fatal flaw i'm going to let you in my deep dark secrets here steve <laughs> i mean my fatal flaw as a as a musician is you can have a beautiful song and beautiful lyrics and i don't hear a single word it, it it's like i i my mind does not go to the lyrics ever and I mean, ever, I have to go and step back, pull the music away, read the lyrics, and then go, oh, really? <laughs> so that's what that song was about. I mean, so 
there are some vocalists that I, I mean, I grew up listening to, uh, probably the vocalist I, I love most as a, uh, kind of growing up with Sarah Vaughn. I love Sarah mm -hmm. Vaughn singing. I just think, but again, this is, this sounds terrible. It was the quality of her sound. It was like the feeling mm -hmm. she put, I mean, I, I thought it was extraordinary. And, yeah. and it's really beautiful. I, I there are, I mean, this I, I almost don't think of this person as a vocalist. The next person I'm going to mention, but I, I really am enamored with a lot of the things he does. Is Theo Blackman? Do you know Theo? Yeah, amazing. Yeah, he, and he does, and he. But again, think about what he does. This is kind of like I get back to my fatal flaw. A lot of what he does is you know wordless vocals. You know, yeah. we we have a lot of that that goes on, um, and so so for me it, that's an easy attraction. You know, um, uh, yeah, I, I I feel bad saying that you know, <laughs> but but my attention just has never been to vocalists the same way it's been yeah. to to in, to the instrumentalists, or or if it has, it's largely been because of coloristic type things. The, um, I mean, there's some people that I think are really interesting. Like, here's somebody that I, I, uh, I thought always had like a really unique kind of, <laughs> I really like this person's singing and, and, um, but I know other people don't, didn't care for it as much was, you know, Mark Murphy's stuff. I don't. Mm -mm. He's got this really gravelly, really gravelly voice. I mean, you'll if, go check out one thing, and you're going to go, you know, you'll know why. If if it's timbre <laughs> you're listening for, why why that's why I yeah. go there, you know. Um, I yeah. just thought he was a fascinating kind of guy, and I mean, I, I I mean, I did some arrangements long time ago for Bobby McFerrin, and you know, I always thought Bobby was really. I mean, I think. Yeah, super good. You know, yeah, very yeah, interesting yeah. stuff. I think, that, but as I said, I it's it's weird for me. I don't I don't know why, but it's it's you know yeah. in another life I'm going to come back as a vocalist and it's going to and I'm going to pay attention to the lyrics. <laughs> um, have you I'm ever? Gonna, I I was going to tell you to sorry. check out this this woman I interviewed from Australia. I think you would really dig her. She does a lot of wordless vocals. Her name is Gian Slater. Have you ever heard of her? Oh, I have. And so, so it's not like I haven't checked. It's kind of weird. It's <laughs> like I make myself try to listen. And it's not even try is not the right word. I listen to, um, and it, it is beautiful. I just, it's not where, it's weird. That's not where I, I go though. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't. So what's, <clears throat> I don't yeah. get it all these years of me <laughs> and I don't get that in me. Um, what, what projects are on your horizon? What, what do you got coming up? Wow. Um, well, um, like I said, I've been writing a lot of little songs. Um, and, and so I have a, it, it's, it doesn't work all the time, but I've got a, a, a little quartet that I have that I play with. And so that I'm writing those largely for those folks, for the folks in that, so that we can, um, mm -hmm. I can check it out and see what it, I, I mean, it's just fun for me. Yeah. I, I, I may try to record with that group. 
I just, let's put it this way, the trio without me could lay this down anytime. For me, it's it's more of a project just because it takes me longer to get that kind of stuff together. So, but I, I think I'll, I'll probably give that a shot for sure. Um, mm -hmm. I do have designs. I know I'm gonna be writing at least probably one more large ensemble thing, piece uh, or CDs worth of type things. Um, uh, the plan at this point is to is to head out to New York in a, maybe a year and get the pieces more or less done. And because I have some players that I really like to use out there, that I I, I don't want to dive into this project until I really have personnel lined up because I don't like writing for air or an air band. I really like to know who's in the band um, mm -hmm. because that uh, will, you know. It makes all the difference, you know. If they kind of, yeah. I want to write to their strengths. I want to be able to do that kind mm -hmm. of stuff and know and have certain types of voices present. So, there there are certain people that I know that I'll probably. I'm pretty confident that I'll. And I've already had discussions with that I'd really like to have involved with that project. Um, mm. But it's not completely done yet, and part of it is for me. Um, it's coming back to this orchestration stuff that I was talking about. One of the reasons I'm researching right now is I really want to, I've got material that I don't think really lends itself to some of the uh, techniques that I've used necessarily for orchestrating in the past. I want to be able to step out on more limbs with that and try some stuff. So there'll be that. Um, mm -hmm. Then beyond that, I don't know. Um, I've, I'd really like to... Uh, it's been years since I've done it, but I'd really like to come back and do some more stuff for orchestra, writing projects for orchestra. Mm. Um, and that would involve, I don't, I don't know if jazz is the right word, but I, it, I, I'd like to get down that road. That, that's a tough one though. That, that's a, that's, there aren't that many places where you go with that kind of stuff. And, um, and yeah. part of, I've, I've never been good for writing without knowing where that's going to, you know, the group that is going to be performing. So I have to see if I can make something yeah. like that happen, but I'd really like to get into it. I just, I love what kind of is available for it. And it kind of, it, it works both sides of my, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it's what I enjoy. It, it, but I love classical music. I love jazz. I think I don't, I don't see any difference between any of it at this point. Um, I think it's music is just music and and I'm eager to dump, jump in where I can. I'd love to say I can get involved with more electronic stuff. I just don't know how I have a bankroll to do it. <laughs> but, you know, I'd like to go ahead and kind of uh, see what I could do there. It just, as we talked about earlier, though, I'm a little reluctant to try to do something like the one man band type stuff. I mean, really where I'm creating yeah. everything on, you know, using samples and everything else. And yeah, uh, I, like I said, I, I just don't, I've, there's not many of the, there aren't many of those projects that I've heard that I feel have a lot of humanity to them or uh, what I feel really yeah. closely connected to. So sure. I don't know. I might dabble in it just to see what comes up, but don't know. Yeah. Um, retirement. That's where I'm going. <laughs> That's your project. That's my project. A better <laughs> golf game. <laughs> I could record it. 
is Uvo in person this fall? Like, is it is the plan for everything to be in person at Uvo? Yeah, yeah. I think right now the plan is for everything to be in person. Yeah, last year was. I thought it was really impressive. I I, I have to kind of give it up to the students. I, I was that was as impressive a year working with students as I've ever had. I mean, I, I'm just wow. talking about the character and the and the nature of the students and what they were kind of endured and what they what they how they managed to to make the most of that situation. I thought it was. I, like I said, I was really impressed. That said, it was exhausting, I think, for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and everybody gave it a real real run. Um, I, I really hope we can be in person um, with most things because there's, while it's that community thing part that I was talking about before that I think um, probably suffered mm-hmm. the most. And without that, I think it's just really hard for things to elevate um, to the level that I think we, where we see art occur and not mm-hmm. just, you know, something else. And, and I think, boy, I, I don't know. I, I just, that's what I think, that, that's why people go into music, you know, or, yeah. or people, that's why people <laughs> want to study music. It's not, it's it's not just to do something else or not, you know, you don't go into music to make money. You know, you, you go yeah. into music because you're passionate about it and, and, and without that payoff. So I really hope it'll be there because I think that payoff is needed. I, and, and God, man, if ever there was a group of students that deserved the chance to get a little bit more of that right now, man, this group really deserves it. So I, I hope that'll happen. So I think we'll be in person. Um, I, uh, you know, worry like all of us do about the pandemic. Um, yeah, I wish, I wish we were a little bit. I wish we could just fix it, follow science, and yeah. you know, I, I, I mean, I, I just, I, I think it's been odd. I, I guess what bothers me, the sense of community, which is really so important to me is the one thing that I think has suffered so dramatically in our country and um, the sense of that we're all in this together and that we should be helping each other out and that we shouldn't, you know, that, I don't know, I, it's, 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 that's probably been the most disappointing thing I've experienced in my life and probably that's why I put my horn down. I don't hate to say it, but that's, you know, it's just, uh, that hits me really hard. I just think that, um, I, I would really hope that, you know, we can, you know, just pull together and realize that, that what one person does for themselves is what affects everyone. And so, I don't know. I, I won't yeah. get into it. I could go there. That would be another 90 <laughs> minutes with Steve Davidson. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, but uh, you know I what I'm saying. I, I, I do. I'm. Yeah, let's just get there. I mean, yeah. that's where yeah, yeah. I, that's where I am at at this point. I think, um, yeah, we get there. Yeah. yeah, cool. Well, thanks, Steve, for being here. It's um, it's a real pleasure to see you, and uh, it's been been a long time since I've seen you. So hope we get to see each other in person someday. 
uh, in not not too distant future. Yeah, you know, and, and I and I just want to say, you know, and I hope this really doesn't get edited out, but I really hope the next time we see each other in this format, I'm in Costa Rica and you're in Oregon. I'm just <laughs> yeah. Well, I I can help make that happen. So if you want to come to Costa Rica, I'll 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 help get you here for sure. <laughs> no, it's oh. great. Thanks, Steve. I don't uh, edit freely. Edit okay. freely. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> All right. Hey there, this is Steve. Just a couple of quick things before you head out. If you liked this episode with Steve Owen, you might also check out the episodes with Clarence Penn and Joel Fromm, where they talk a lot about practice routines, or Allison Ow or Gian Slater we talk a lot about their writing process and Amanda Tosoff also another great one talking about writing so check out those episodes you can find those on Apple Podcasts Stitcher any place that you get your podcasts or you can go to the website theplayfulmusician.com where you can see the show notes for this show links from this show and the show notes and links from all the other shows plus all the shows are on there. Thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Uh, please spread the word, trying to grow the audience. And um, we'll see you again soon. Got some great guests coming up. Thanks so much. <laughs>